Ready? You ready? Yes. This week on Safety Stop. Fabulous. Christina Zanato. I sure hope I got that right, love. <laughs> listen, Linda. Listen, listen, Linda. Number one rule of scuba. <laughs> Welcome to La La Land. You scuba? We scuba. Mermaid hair, don't care. That's interesting. Oh. Yeah, I some sharks, like no big deal. <laughs> I also have a lot of hot air. <laughs> You're funny. Warning, this show is unscripted, so be ready to laugh your ass off. <laughs> And welcome to this week's episode of Safety Stop. We're your hosts, Sarah, Meg, and Jar. We're so excited to have you this week. And we have the fabulous Christina Zanato. I sure hope I got that right, love. <laughs> we are so excited to have you here today. You have an amazing and fascinating background and history. You were born in Italy. You lived in the African Congo. You teach recreational and technical and shark courses. Your credentials include a Patty Dyth course corrector, course director, um, NSS uh, CDS full cave instructor. You're a cave instructor. That's amazing. And a TDI extended range and advanced nitrox with decompression procedures. Um, hello. And quote unquote, you speak five languages, um, but let's add a sixth in there. Uh, you speak shark, Italian, <laughs> English, German, French, Spanish, and shark. Hello. Hi, Christina. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God, you're so awesome. <laughs> We're so excited to have you with us. We're, you are so vastly overqualified to be talking to us. Um, yeah. But we're well, really, really very much How do you say that? I mean, the qualifications don't make anybody not overqualified to talk to anybody. I, I think you're just probably the most qualified person in the entire planet. No, no, no. Trust me. There's way, way more out there that I can still learn from. Well, I haven't met anybody that speaks shark, so I'm excited. But I think the more knowledge you have, the more is your duty to actually share it. And that maybe that's where you see all these qualifications. But if you look down to them, they're all qualifications that allow me just to share, to bring, to, to give it to other people. Because if I stayed at a different level, I could have not been able to push it to somebody else. That's why it sounds like I have all these big, high titles. But at the end of the day, they're nothing else than a a tool to what I love to do, which is a sharing and educating. Oh, well, we're so happy to have you with us and we are looking very much forward to learning from you. And um, the three of us are all dive master candidates. So we're pretty early on in our training for that, but um, we're very much also looking forward to being able to instruct and share someday. So um, thank you. I guess we are excited to hear a little bit about how you got started diving and how it's turned into this illustrious career of um, technical diving and shark diving. Um, would you tell us a bit about how you got to Grand Bahamas and um, what started you off? Yes, uh, and it's uh, it's actually a very, very good question because I've been receiving quite a lot of uh, messaging emails and hopefully this helps a little bit there are people like oh how do I get to be you or how do I get to have your job and I've been doing this for 24 years and when I started 24 years I absolutely had no idea uh, no clue literally of that where I would have ended up or how it would have been and how it would end up being who I am today uh, so I, I am Passion about the ocean, always being a water baby. Um, family comes from the ocean, so I always grew up with fins, mask, and snorkel. And I mean, you could not take me out of the water. And uh, it was a series of coincidences in my life at age 22 in which I had enough time, enough money, and enough uh, luck to find the dislocation here in the Bahamas. That uh, in itself was like a, a very interesting selection. But I ended up here doing my open water course. And then they were looking for somebody who could work at the front desk speaking foreign languages. And the series of coincidences uh, lined up were right there for me. Now, I could have said, uh, thank you, no, thank you, and gone back to Italy and continue on in my five-star hotel towards my hotel director qualification. And that is where came maybe one of the first choices, which is I said yes to the job 
um, which was in a certain way, somebody looked at what I've been studying, what I've been doing. It was just kind of like, it was a demotion into the kind of position, but I, um, quit everything I had in Italy, the job, the boyfriend, the car, the, the apartment. And in the matter of 10 days, packed a duffel bag. I bought a used a five mil suit and a pair of fins and a, and a mask and landed in the Bahamas and started working at the hotel front desk while diving on the side and building up to dive master. That's when I did the uh, transition from the hotel to the dive master. So it was, there's a series of cons- of coincidences, but also of choices that I just took a leap of faith. And I said, oh, I'll try this. And, and it was easy. I was 22, right? I'll be gone for a year. What care? Who cares? You come back, you'll start again, even if you're 25, 26. So that was the first step. And then the second step was the decision to stay. I fell in love right away with the sharks. I discovered very quickly into my diving experience uh, the caverns and then the concept of the caves be- behind them. And I truly love the island uh, from a lifestyle point of view. And to this day, this is one of the main reasons I'm still here. So again, those are three things put together uh, were the trigger by which I stayed. From then to now, um, choices, a lot of choices, a few op- opportunities, uh, and quite a lot of, uh, and I might sound bad, but a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifices. And a lot of, when I got to certain uh, Y roads and it was one way or the other, I always picked um, maybe the one that kept me closer to the sharks and closer to the caves and closer to the island, closer to the ocean. So along the way, I received different job offers and different opportunities, but it meant, you know, stop cave diving or it meant stop being with the sharks. And I was just like, ah. so that's how it slowly built. And, um, and then I discovered this passion for, for, uh, for training, but for sharing, for education in general. And when you love something like that, when you, you, you love sharks, the ocean, I, I love, I have my friend, the anemone, I, every day that I go past, past it, because it's right there, a shark junction, I kind of like wave at the anemone, it's been there for 16 years, right? But when you have a passion like that for something, it is, I think, intrinsically uh, automatic that you want to protect it. And so the conservation comes from this original selfishness towards my passion and then also say well wait a minute if i want to protect this and i want to be able for other people to experience this uh, i need to do this and so slowly built into the tools that i needed so uh, the cave diving then became okay how do i better protect this cave so i learned how to survey a cave and then i became a cave explorer and then i changed into the gear and then i improved on that and I realized, well, if I want to go there, I need to know how to do this. So I first learned this to get there. And it was kind of like building blocks, like, I guess, a Lego, right? You start by putting down a little base of your Legos and you slowly build up. And next thing you know, you're built a, a castle. But you have to start from the bottom. You can't start from the tower. Yeah, that is very to true. Have the foundation before you can start creating the masterpiece. And that's uh, that's what I tell people. And, and, and the other thing is uh, the opportunities I had 24 years ago, uh, they're not there anymore. They're gone, um, primarily because I've taken them. So you you that are coming up behind me, and especially the younger people, the younger generation, you're coming up behind me. Uh, there are opportunities that I didn't have, and maybe it's too late for me to have, and they're completely different and completely new, and, and you just need to go and get them. What what I notice is that people expect, it's like, oh, okay, I made this choice. It's like, where are all the advantages of my choice? And it's kind of like, it doesn't really work like that. Uh, from my personal experience, uh, things don't work in a linear way. Uh, one of the kind of like examples that I use, I tell, you know, you, you, you pick a path, you start walking down this path, and you might see around the curve, or you might see where the road is going to turn. And but you never know when the turn is going to be uh, washed out by, by a storm, literally by a hurricane. The hurricanes have stopped me in my tracks for a couple of times. I had certain plans, and here came the hurricane, demolished the island, and 
it made me stop and go, okay, back to the drawing board. And so it's a physical, literal, you know, hurricane, but it could be other things um, along the way. And so sometimes you make a choice and you just have to stick with it. And you might not really see behind the corner, but then in the long term, in hindsight, you're going to go, oh, wow, that really helped me a lot. Um, so I think people just need to start and they need to stick with it. So the other, the other issue that I've had, and then I'm really glad that now at 47, <laughs> I don't have anymore, is behind me. There was a, a period of my life in which, and I wrote about it, and I was like, people would go, so when are you going to stop playing with sharks and get a real job? Or when are you going to settle down? As a woman, I receive all these questions. And, and the settle down, I used to look at people, it's kind of like, hold on a second. I've been living on this island since 1994. <laughs> I've been working in the same location since oh, 1995. Um, I own my own place. I have three dogs and a little car. How much more settled do you want me? It's an island, right? It's not even the United States of America. This is an island. But in their mind, the question was, where are you going to get married and have kids? So that was one of the biggest things is just like, why are you so weird? Why you don't have kids and get married? And there's nothing wrong with a different choice, but it's there. It's knocking on the back of your head constantly. And the other one was like, seriously, when are you going to get a real job? I mean, you're down there playing with the sharks, you know, and this is going to end and blah, blah, blah. And diving instructors, you don't really make a lot of money. You don't. And so then comes in all these requirements by life that you need to do this and you need to do that. And you need to think 10 years plans and 15 year plans. Well, I tell you what, my best friend had 10 years plan and she died in a car accident from one day to the other. Oh. And, and at the age of 30, and that for me was my first and strongest wake up call. It's like snap and the life is gone. And it was a 10 year plan while living a life that she didn't want to live she's like oh but in 10 years it's like <laughs> so sometimes i think we we i think that the thing that they say you know you you live like you're gonna die you should live as you're gonna die tomorrow and you you should in a certain way and i'm not saying being reckless i still prepare my future i still took courses i still uh, stayed with my steady job. I still, you know, performed the way I was supposed to perform. Uh, but I think sometimes we put too much emphasis in what uh, society says that those are the parameters and the lifestyle and the way you should live rather than just really following what is that you want to do. And I'm guilty of that as well, even with what looks like a, could be like a good life. I'm still, I still, hear society you know drumming in the back of my head sometimes oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna cry right now i'm gonna be honest this is like touching on all of my current issues I'm like, like this is my therapy session on a uh, weekly basis this has <laughs> definitely been my life i mean like i i'm i'm 40 and so it's interesting because i i'm constantly like exploring and trying new things and so many people have been like when are you gonna stop your entrepreneurial life? Now you're scuba diving? Now you're like, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just kind of going. Um, but I'm curious, what is what one major advice would you give to someone that's like, you know what, I'm not gonna follow what society does. I just wanna follow where my heart leads me. What, what advice? Um... Yeah, well, what one good piece of advice would you would be a good takeaway for someone that's like, I don't want to follow what society is telling me I should do? Take the chance. What would you do if you're offered a chance? And the thing is, take it. I took a chance several times. And, uh, and, and, and that, I think, is the, best, is the best part. The other one is you need to start realizing what is it that matters to you. When you, when you wake up in the morning, um, what is the things that makes you look forward to? Now, I've been 24 years in the diving business, and I'll be honest, um, there are some mornings where I wake up, and I actually would love to actually sit home on the floor with my dogs. But it's 24 years of constantly diving, driving, caring, going. It's not like sitting in a, in a shop selling gear. It's constant on the, on the, on the front line. And 
after 24 years, I got to the point where I can say, you know what, I can actually sit and relax today. Like this morning is my day off and um, I hadn't been in a month because of work commitment, but I took my dogs to the beach and we ran our heads off in and out of the water. So they couldn't walk anymore. And then I took them home and washed them and now they're exhausted. So they're not disturbing the interview either. Maybe 10 years ago, I would have not even done that. I would have still wanted to go diving. Uh, so obviously parameters change, but you need to wake up in the morning with something that makes you look forward to. Not the weekend, not your holidays. There were times where I wouldn't even want to leave the island because oh, I was going to miss a week of diving and maybe this is what's going to happen and that was going to happen. It, it would just consume me. It took like 20 years for this absolutely consuming fire to finally settle to a, a more reasonable level. And, and that is my best advice. What fuels your fire? And if it fuels your fire, go for it. Be obvious. You have to be slightly responsible, right? You can't just... Uh, keep going, you have to take in consideration that you have a body to take care of and you have an age that is coming in and other things, but it does not mean you got to live now, not in 10 years time, now when you're done all the things that, you know, like tick the boxes that you've been told that you need to tick. Uh, nobody said you have to tick all the boxes. You can pick some and tick some and you can leave the other ones empties. It's your life, nobody else's. You're, I think you're about to give us all the courage to go into work tomorrow and quit our jobs. Yeah. I just want to call you like every morning and get like inspiration from you. <laughs> no, I think you're right though. It's a, it takes a lot of courage, but um, I think it's a very common thing, potentially very, especially in the United States, but um, to feel the pressures of society to check those boxes, make sure that you have a stable job, have a family, have a whatever, whatever. I'm guilty of this constantly, giving into whatever my family wants we, me to do. But we all are. So here, here's the other one, right? I hit rock bottom. I sit and cry my eyes out with snot drooping down. When I hit rock bottom, am I being because I'm tired or because I hit a failure or because of something that didn't go my way? I hit rock bottom like everybody else. I, feel, I fail and I feel the failures and I fear the failures and I constantly question and double question. I'm not like, I don't go around with Wonder Woman bracelets in front of me and cross my arms and everything pushes away from me. I hit rock bottom and drag myself along the rock bottom many times. I'm lucky I have friends that come and pick me up because they, they also do understand the true nature of me. You know, like they see the... Yes, all I've done and all of that, but they also appreciate that I have a human side. So it's okay to feel like that. It's okay to go, you know what? I feel, I don't feel like it. I don't have that energy. I don't have that. I'm afraid. So you share it and then you find somebody that goes, no, 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 don't be afraid. Here, let me link arms with you and we'll just go two, three steps more forward. You can do this. And then when you do that, then you continue by yourself right uh it's not that i glaze through life you know like uh i don't know ice a skater and ice with a cape just flopping behind my back oh no no i mean i am failure and i am mistakes as failures and mistakes can be and i am self-doubt and 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 self-critic and all of that uh, like like all people and for many as women as well Right, because we we actually are requested to do sometimes more um, on all the levels, on many levels. Right, so um, if you work and you're successful at working, then maybe oh well, well you neglect your children, or maybe you're stay-at-home mom, and it's kind of well then you neglect yourself, and he's a God forbid you have you know wrinkles or a little bit of cellulite and you know a little bit of a tummy because oh you let yourself go oh look you have silver in your hair meanwhile the guy that is salt and pepper everybody goes oh he's so sexy <laughs> 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 <laughs>
So it reminds me of a 1950s commercial where you had to wear the pretty dress with a super cinched waist, you know, with a little belt and a high heels and you had the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I don't think I own a vacuum cleaner. And, and the women were, are expected no matter what field. And furthermore, then you come into diving and, and, uh, and, <laughs> and that's when the cookie crumbles because <laughs> higher duties to basically prove ourselves at the level of everybody else. And I'm not, I'm not a feminist, but it's true. I've seen it all the time. First of all, I'm 5'5", five five, so that already is a detriment no matter what I walk in. Right? People have to look down on me in the United States of America. But the, I'll give you an example. I drive boats. I can drive boats no matter what people say. I drive boats, and I can drive boats really, really, really well. But if I drive a boat or dock a boat, the guys on board will applaud if one of the guys in the team, drives the boat, docks the boat, the reaction is, thank you, man, see you tomorrow. And they walk off the boat. The, the guys will come out to me and say, did you just dock the boat? Like, yeah. It's like, oh, let me shake your hand. Oof. Uh, congratulations, you know how to do it's, this. You know? It's like, well, I can also parallel park and drive stick shift because I'm familiar. <laughs> so it, it's not easy. But what I'm saying is when you when you do it for 90% of the time, you feel satisfied with what you do. And and when you feel down, you turn around and I'm at that point and you have the, the younger people that you have inspired and hopefully like I've done, I've helped quite a lot. They turn around and now they're like pulling in fo- forward in front of you. It's like, oh, Christina, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And, and you watch them, you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to sit home with the dogs. I'm watching you pulling now. And that gives you a satisfaction and it makes you realize that what you did more or less was okay. It was never 100% okay. But um, that is a suggestion I can, I can give is just you got to live now. You got to live your life, not what you have been told that you should be doing. So how does the standards are for females being a tech and cave diver? Yeah, I imagine there's a pretty heavy gender bias as you're going through the ranks with tech diving too. You, there is. There are also very uh, gender biased areas where you'll find that as a woman it's harder or more difficult. But then remember, there's quite a lot of us women in the tech diving industry that are uh, at the level where we can actually help bringing up other women. And I'm not saying that a woman should always take a course from a woman. Um, they can also take from men. There's phenomenal men out there that are extremely great supporters of women. And I've been fortunate enough to come across some some of them. Um, some have been either co-workers or sometimes mentors or sometimes an inspiration, sometimes a, a mix of both. And they judge you on your performance, not on your gender. And I mean, tech diving is tech diving. It has a certain standard. So uh, it should not drop the standards because you're a woman. Uh, but it's it's like everything, right? You'll find amazing men that are extremely supportive of women in technical diving, in diving in general. And you'll find some pockets that are very chauvinistic and very close. And you'll still find one here and there. They'll drop their little comments and stuff like that. But um, then you pick your battle. Then you decide what you want to what you want to fight. And so one of the ways I do fight it, or if I want to call it fight it, is uh, I usually hold, try to hold my tongue. It's very hard because I'm Italian and I'm very temperamental, but I try to hold my tongue and then I usually hit the water. <laughs> and when I hit the water, that's it. Uh, the usually usually the, the, the comments or anything like that, they usually disappear. Right? By the time I surface, they're like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, so... Um, where I am right now, the technical level, I don't have that issue anymore. It's funny enough, you know where I have it? As a course director, when I tried to teach instructor candidates, um, because of the technical level, I am, I have put in what I had to put in and I am at the level that the people that are part of the industry can recognize what I do and what I can do. And so we are equals. Uh, so I don't need to prove myself anymore. 
But at the recreational level, not everybody knows who's who. Uh, it's a wider world. There's 20 million divers, just paddy divers out there. So I think when you show up and there is that little bit of the gender, um, it does affect a little bit the perception. Not all the times, but quite a few times I've noticed it. My favorite, for example, I'll give you an example. So you, here you are a candidate and you can uh, you can have as much experience as you want as a little bit. You show up in my environment and I'm about to say, okay, we're going to go and do this in the pool. And you make fun of what I'm wearing. Right? It's like you ridicule the fact that maybe I'm wearing a seven male hooded vest. It's, first of all, I actually do believe if you're cold, warm up. Because otherwise you can't concentrate and you can't work well and you can't perform for your students. So if I jumped in the water with a three male just to look cool, and then after 20 minutes, I, all I can think is I need to surface or I need to get out of the pool, I'm going to jump in with a seven male, sometimes a dry suit, so that then I can concentrate on training you. So you should actually, one, take that as a, you know, it's like, oh, okay, she's preparing herself to be able to teach me without having to be wor- worried about herself. And two of you, it's like, uh, you're really going to make fun of your course director? Maybe you're going to ask and say, why are you wearing the seven mil? Why are you wearing the seven mil? It's like, well, the water is 74, and we're going to be in there for four hours. Well, I'm from Alaska. I don't have a problem with that. Good for you. Right? Excellent. Don't make fun of me. Ask first. And that is where I find. Then when we come out of the water four hours later, they're like, "Oh, you were in a seven mil." Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not my first rodeo. But the concept is for me, like professionally, is and and a lot of people on the boat in the middle of the summer. I have a full three mil with a hooded vest, eighty six degrees, and people are like, "Oh, wow, full three mil is." I'm like. This is what allows me to not have to worry about being in the water. So that then my 100% attention is towards you. Because as a professional, you're, you're paying for my time and all of that. You definitely want me to put in the time. You don't want me to go, oh, wow, yeah, I'm shivering now. 40 minutes, let's get out. Maybe today you need 60 minutes in, especially in technical diving or in cave diving, even more so. So that is also where it stems from, where I say, I'm going to wear this because that allows me not to have to worry about myself. I can just concentrate on you and take care of you. You've also mentioned that I've read a couple of your interviews about the the chain mail that you wear when you're diving with sharks um, and how, you know, the years and years and years of experience and dives that you've done with zero incidents can all just go away with one accident. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the chainmail and how kind of that came into it? Yes. So uh, the chainmail suit, and here we have to do a, a, a establish this. I do feed, hand feed sharks in the wild, Caribbean reef sharks. So at the moment you decided to do that, you also do realize that there's an inherent risk of what I call an accidental bite. The shark will come in for the fish, you make a mistake, it clumps its teeth down on your fingertip or on your knuckles or whatever it is. So the chainmail is there when I feed and when I feed only. When I'm not feeding and I'm going scuba diving in the same area with the same sharks or anything like that, I do not wear a chainmail. I call it the barrier that allows me to drop the barriers, meaning I wear something that actually allows me to do the things that I do with sharks. And by protecting myself and my knowledge, I also protect the sharks. Meaning if I can keep my shark dive 100% safe, then I can also keep the fact that scuba divers are going interacting, feeding with sharks as a 100% safe activity. And that's where the chainmail comes in. Um, it's the same as if you go climbing a North face, you are going to wear a helmet, you're going to wear crampons, you're going to take ice picks big, and you're going to be roped together with the person that is with you, or you're going to just lock yourself into the ice, uh, because should you slip and fall, you're going to fall to your death. And so it's a precaution. We clip the seatbelt on on the car, not because every time I drive the car, I'm going to have an accident, 
but should I have an accident, that seatbelt has been proved to save lives. I wear a helmet because if I fall off my bicycle or my moped and I hit my head, it's been proved to save lives. And it's the same thing. I wear the chainmail because the accidental bike could cause enough injury to be publicized and then it becomes, oh, you know, people shark feeding and the sharks and just you put the word shark anywhere in any sentence and people just freak out and don't even stop nothing at all. Yeah. Oh, sharks really are as bad as everyone thought they were. Right. So uh, as soon as you put in the word shark, you know, people are running from the beach. So that's the reason why the chainmail. And the chainmail allows me to do what I do, which is reaching for the head and touching the sharks and then welcoming them in my lap or anything like that. And I know people say, well, if they're really that nice or anything like that, you wouldn't wear it. But here, here's the thing. I was playing with my dogs on the beach this morning, and one of them is 112 pounds. And he came and we were, you know, we were running and all of that. And he went to jump on me. And I actually had to push him off because I know if he lands on me with his paws, as he falls down, he's going to scratch me severely from the arm down to the thigh all the way through my shin, which has happened before. So it is unintentional. He wants to play, but it's a 112-pound monster. With his weight and his power, as it glides through my body with his paws, he's going to actually lacerate my skin. So I don't wear the chainmail with him, but I actually push them away. And I'm like, not with me. And I put my arm out and I tell him, you don't play with me. You play with your brother. For that reason, because you're going to hurt me. I was gonna, Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. My dogs, you, you, you amp up a dog and you've got a ball in your hand and they go, they're lunging for the ball, not your hand, but they'll nick you still. Yep. I remember years ago, I was watching these two uh, giant pit bulls and I was playing with one of them. I had a ribbon and I was, I was making it going in circles and I was flopping the ribbon and the owner was a little bit further away. And he says, Oh, be careful with that. And I looked at the owner and I lost my rhythm and the dog clamped down on my hand. Right. And I was just like, ow. And I was like, I stopped immediately. And then we were kind of like, okay, you have to open the jaws now. And it just stopped. It didn't do anything. It didn't, it didn't pull. It didn't do anything. But simply the clamping down, it was a big, big dog as well. It's huge. He actually left bruises on my wrist just from his teeth. And he was just playing. But it, in, in the end, nothing happened. But what I'm saying, that's what the chamel is. It's a precaution. It's an irresponsible precaution. You, you, we have to be responsible with the things we're doing out there right away 1994 95 it just came into use uh so my my mentor his name is ben rose he still lives on the island he's 74 he had just started a shark dive a couple of years earlier and they had already started experimenting with also different sorts of techniques some of them <laughs> very interesting uh, and then at a certain point uh, one customer said to to Ben, to Uncle Ben, says, hey, he says, you know, why don't you just wear at least the chainmail glove, uh, the chainmail glove that the butchers use when they cut with their sharp knives. So if you're a butcher and you're cutting the, the kni- with the knife, you put the chainmail glove on the non-cutting hand, the one that holds on to the meat. And if the, if the blade slips, it slips over the chainmail and doesn't cut you. That's how the chainmail was born. And then Neptunic, created the full suit and the full suit was created well neptunic not in itself but actually was a ron and valerie taylor ordered their australian photographers um very famous ones they ordered their first custom-made suit and they just wanted to wear the chainmail suit so that they could actually be in the middle of a back back then blue sharks going into a frenzy and film them we're talking about Oh, let me think. 70s? 1970s? 1980s. Okay. They just wanted a chainmail suit for photography and videography so that they could be safe and hold on to the camera with the arms in the middle of the water or anything like that without having to worry about the sharks coming up and biting them. That's how the first chainmail was created. It was created for the net geo of the situation. Here, wear this, go in the middle of the sharks, film them. And then it was a slowly transferred to the rising market of the shark feeding world, which was at the time not that very developed. That's Unexo and uh, and myself start using a chainmail. Stuart Scove now uses a chainmail since from the 90s now. And, and it's been proved 
you know, absolutely uh, one of the best things that you can actually in, insert as a feeder. Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So in Fiji, I, I was uh, I was guest of Bang Adventure Divers, and they actually allowed me to feed their bulls. Uh, their bulls are huge, ginormous, and they only wear a glove up to the elbow. And uh, and people go, well, that doesn't do much. It actually does. Even simply the texture of the chainmail is a deterrent. Because remember, they're not biting you to bite you. They accidentally grab the the fish, and then they accidentally sometimes half grab your hand. Well, when they feel that chainmail, the first thing is like, ah, <laughs> what is? <laughs> <laughs> to a, 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 a potato and biting into the tinfoil. What's your instinct? I feel like it's like online dating. You don't want to take the fork with you when you bite your food off of it. Right. And so, and so it's the same thing. It has a texture. It has a deterrent. And I think it has... Uh, a little bit of the good respect towards the sharks. And it doesn't mean, hey, look, I'm wearing the chimio because I'm absolutely terrified and I think they're monsters and they're, you know, vicious or whatever. It's just, no, I'm wearing the chimio because in a likely event, I get bitten, nothing happens, and one, I can keep feeding and petting and enjoying them, and nobody will be blamed. Not the feeder, not the diver, not the shark. So now you only wear a chain uh, mail glove, but people who wear the full suits now, is that No, I adding? wear the full suit. You wear the full suit. So does that like add Fiji any weight the full, to you? Only the glove. How does that affect your buoyancy when you're diving? I don't need a weight belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're... So you're extremely heavy. Um, the problem with the chain mail is not the weight in itself because it's 20 pounds, right? So if you think about diving in a dry suit, there are people that wear more than 20 pounds. The problem with the chainmail is it does not have the number one required characteristic of a weight system, which is quick release. Once you're in a chainmail, you're strapped into it. You're totally bundled into it, and there's no quick release. So then it, it makes it dangerous because you you have to be calm. You have to be uh, careful with your air. You cannot remove anything because you have to rely on your system in order to be able to float on the surface or anything like that. Um, so it's not the weight in itself. I mean, 20 pounds, it's, uh, it, you can still inflate your BCD and swim. Your, your legs might be a little bit heavy, but I never had major issues. It's just in the likely event of an emergency, you have to keep your wits to it because it's not going to, oh, I'm going to just quick release the chainmail and off it falls off you. When you're usually, when you're wearing the chainmail and feeding the sharks, um, usually how deep are you? Uh, 45 feet. 15 meters in a nice sandy bottom. Yes, this is super easy. It's the closest dive site to the uh, marina uh, from where the boat leaves, and it's the shortest boat ride. Um, and uh, this is not the place, but I have quite a few uh, ideas, strict ideas on how I think certain shark encounters should be run. And um, this one meets like my obviously designed so i'm very happy with it but basically it's 15 minutes boat ride closest dive side 45 feet of water uh no need for a safety stop if you have to come up you come up if you have to evacuate divers you evacuate divers and the whole game is placed in a very good position if that now do you need to be uh and can you be in open water do you need to be in advanced open water to be able to to be able to go feed the sharks okay so if you want to do it professionally as part like of my team uh, you have to be an instructor and shark feeding is a minimal part of your job there's all the other jobs that diving instructor that come as well teaching dsds teaching up on water driving boats guiding divers uh all, all that stuff and also feeding sharks but um if you i also teach this to customers that want to sign up for this course. And I do either a one-day experience, or like a three-day course. And those I normally do not require anything but a basic certification. And what I tell people, and it's written on my website as well under the frequently asked questions, is uh, uh, the you don't have to tell me how good you are. I honestly 
you know, if you have a little bit of problems with buoyancy, I can fix that. If you're a little bit nervous, I can fix that and all of that. The problem is you need to tell yourself how good you are. And you better be honest because the sharks down there don't care if you have four dives under your belt or 400 dives or 4,000 dives. And so they'll swim around you in the same way. And they'll wash you with their tails and their bellies. And sometimes they might nod your mask or knock your regulator. or And they're not going to go, oh, wow, you just recently got certified. I know you're really your nose. No. So I tell my divers, I said, I'm not going to even, uh, it's up to you. You need to be honest with yourself. And if, you know, I actually had one person that shows up. And uh, I can't remember his name. And uh, he signed up for the shark course, shark handling course. That's three full days. And I said, so I said, how long have you been diving? He goes, oh, it says since last week. I said, excuse me? He goes, yeah. So I heard about you. And then I read about you. And then I contacted you. And I just learned to scuba dive just to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're number five of this guy and what i'm gonna do i'm just plopping in the water with chainmail 20 pounds and all that one of the most spectacular divers i ever taught absolutely phenomenal comfortable with his buoyance in this mask and all that i had instructors panic when the shark hit the mask and, and the mask flooded i had an instructor panic trying to bolt not you can't bolt anyway but they tried to bolt and i'm like super I don't care about certifications. It, and we go back, let's go back to that society things. I don't care about titles sometimes. Sometimes the titles is not everything that encompasses a person. I don't have a PhD. I don't even have a master. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I knew there's a reason why I liked you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so sometimes labels as well, you know, don't. So that's the reason why I say, are you a certified diver? Yes. This is what's going to happen. Please be aware of that. And then you can come and do it. So yes, you can be an open water diver with four dives under your belt. Fantastic. I'm coming. <laughs> Just so <Same>. you. <laughs> you. You got more than that. Go. That's all right. So, I probably still act like it though. <laughs> for, now for the cave, that's a little different. Yes. Cave diving is a totally different environment. And with that, a totally different requirements or anything like that so there are parameters set up by the agencies to um, guarantee an approximate level at which the divers approach the technical diving and the cave diving again for the most part it, it just gives you so they'll say okay you need to be an advanced diver with 50 open ocean dive or something like that now just throwing their numbers but uh, it just gives you a minimal, minimal guarantee that these people already been out in the ocean and done all the sorts of stuff. But uh, at the same time, it sometimes it does not mean 100% that. I've had divers with AD dives performing better than instructors with 1,000 dives. There was... Uh, I was doing my course director and, and uh, they said, you know, you can have, you can have 10 years experience or 10 one year experience. Right. Uh, but yes, technical diving, cave diving uh, is different one because once you go beyond the cavern level, which is the first zone of the cave, um, you have to enter a different gear configuration. So either the back-mounted doubles or the side-mounted uh, single tanks. And and from there, so you switch from the back-mounted single tank usually to the side-mount. There's very few that have been learning open water directly in side-mount, which is not against standards. I mean, you can, if somebody wanted to learn in side-mount, they could. And then it's really about buoyancy, awareness, self-awareness, awareness of the environment and all of that. And then it comes all the technical stuff into it. Uh, it's a big building block. I usually recommend people that never, ever, ever done anything like that to take it in two steps. So they'll do step one and two, take a breather, work through some of their diving, and then take step three and four. Can you tell us a little bit about... Um the cave systems in the Bahamas and how you um, worked with them to map the cave systems? How, how do you go about doing that? 
So uh, the Bahamas are over 3,000 between islands, keys, and little sandbanks. And uh, they are primarily made of limestone. So it's a very porous rock uh, that had a very great capability of filtering water. And at different stage of the Bahamas' life, uh, these islands were actually um, 400 feet above sea level during the Ice Age. And those are the times uh, where some of these caves were actually formed by the water erosion and action of the water. And so it created a maze, uh, similar to the maze that you have in North Florida, uh, but totally different kind of like um, looks. And then the same one as Mexico. And water level rose, and so we have all these underground uh, tunnels with these phenomenal mazes of, of, of caves. Uh, some contain fresh water on the top from the rain, salt water on the bottom that comes in from the ocean. Some of these entrances are in the islands, some are kind of like at the edge, and some are actually out in the ocean. They're called, they're known as blue holes, which is a name that comes from the simple fact that when you fly over them, the entrance looks like a dark blue against the beautiful aquamarine color of the Bahamian's water. Um, and the water interacts, the rain, the, the ocean, the tides, everything interacts in these caves. So it's just pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, could have a podcast just on that. But within the caves, there's actually stalactites and stalagmites and crystals. So it's a huge historical, uh, geological history. Furthermore, there's unique critters, some of which were actually discovered here in Ben's Cave on Grand Bahama Island. And then there are even furthermore fossil remains of the history of these islands. And there's so much down there from the skeletons of the original inhabitants of the islands to crocodiles and tortoises and things that are all preserved by this pristine balance between the forest, the limestone and the water basins, the fresh and the salt that live in these caves. So if you were to uh, disrupt any of these elements by maybe taking the forest down and building a golf course or uh, breaking down the mangroves and build a marina, you will affect the entire chain of these caves. So I started cave diving because I just fell in love with cave diving. That was, uh, I actually cheated on my logbook because I was supposed to have 20, but I had 11 dives. <laughs> <laughs> And I went with Ben Rose, my mentor, into Ben's cave that takes the name after him. And I remember, you know, 11 dives. I was an okay diver. And I remember looking up and he was just floating there in this crystal clear water. Didn't even have a part. It looked like it floated in space. I consider the caves my uh, galaxy on this planet. For me, they're like space out there. And, uh, and I was just like, I want to look like that and I want to do that. And then we went Calvin diving and I just absolutely mesmerized by this environment. So fast forward, I became a cave diver, came back to swimming all the caves with lines in it because that's how you build your blocks. And then one day when after several years that you reach the end of these lines and you understand how the cave works and you feel comfortable, one day you just pull up your reel. And you're like, hey, I'm going to see if there's something here. And you learn how to read the cave the more you spend time in the cave. I call it dive site fidelity. I'm one of those people, I don't like to helicopter in somewhere for two weeks, you know, drop something and then go. I like to stay. And that's how I find quite a lot of things. And then you start finding new cave and then uh, you, well, you want to show where this new cave is. So I learned how to do survey. Uh, automatically claim the site mount and then came technological technology to map this case better and then when i heard that they were looking for people that were willing to give information about the caves that maybe some of the places could be uh, included into protection and conservation programs i was like oh i can do this so i volunteered my time with the knowledge that i have and the know-how i got special permits to go in quite a few different places some were completely open to the to anybody but uh, some were protected already. And I went in and did all the exploration and survey and brought that bet, the data. And I said, hey, look at this. And this is how far this cave goes. We should protect all around this caves, including all the terrain on top of it. And two of these projects were part of what they call the 2020. So the Bahamian government has agreed to protect 20% more of its land, whichever it's uh, mangroves, ocean, coastline, or forest by 2020. 
and each island submitted certain areas for review. And so on this island, we were a group of six, seven people and different people with different interests. Like we had some people that organized bone fishing, which is a catch and release kind of fishing. And they proposed uh, the creeks. And I proposed two sets of caves and everything is being approved to be under revision. It's going to be revised and chances are at least one for sure is going to make it through and become a full park, full protected. Oh, and so on the side, then I still go and cave explore and look for holes. And if, if it's big enough for me to fit through and has some water in it, I'll check it out. Do you ever get freaked out by going in these caves? Well, that's the thing. It's a building block. If somebody would have said that 20 years ago, absolutely. I would have been absolutely freaked out to, to try to slide my body through something where I can fit with the body and just the, the tanks in front of me. But it was a building block. But no, the, the first caves I used to die were super clear and nice. And then I slowly build up my skills with other caves that maybe were more demanding. Now, do you only dive with like one other person when you go in these caves? Like how many people are going with you? Ha. Ah, okay. Um, so <laughs> most of my, so depends on what I'm doing. If I can, I go with someone else. Uh, obviously that is trained. Uh, chances are most of the people that I've been cave diving with are former students of mine. So I make them and I take them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. but for most of my exploration, the real exploration, I am solo. Wow. Gotcha. Most of my work is solo. So I go in by myself and do everything and come out by myself. With all the rules that are required, is again, it's not that I jump in with a single tank. There's all sorts of things and, and a mindset also and a responsibility that you have to take. Uh, but most of my exploration is solo. So quick question in full transparency on this yeah. end. Um, so I love the thought of check diving. I love the thought of cave diving and all this. And I know you say it's like building blocks, but honestly, it scares the piss out of me <laughs> of actually thinking about going in a cave. Like, I know it's it's mindset, but what else, what other recommend, like I get mindset and I get building block, but what other advice would you give to someone that's like, that looks cool, but I don't know. To make them a little bit more comfortable yeah. starting out. Start with a cavern course. Start with a cavern course. Go with your little open water gear with few modified things and a couple of added tools and stay within the light zone. What does it mean? The cavern is an area which is already an overhead where you're still going to see the crystals and the stalactite and the stalagmites, but at any point you turn around, you're going to be able to see the exit and the light. And that will tell you right away, this is for me, this is not for me. And not even because I have a student and I absolutely adore her because she's absolutely terrified of the water or so she claims <laughs> line that she always overcome this. So the first time she came visiting on the island, she took the shark feeder course and then she said, oh, I want to do the cavern tour. And with her was another a very good diver, famous, famous Andrea Doria wreck diver. And both of them are like, yeah, overhead. So we went in. And both of them were like, yeah, that was, that was okay. I'm glad I did it. I'm done. Okay. Six months later, they came back and they're like, hey, can we do the cavern again? <laughs> they did the cavern again. The third time, one of the two, the, the, the one that is, uh, came back, she said, I'm thinking I'm going to take that cavern course. And she took the cavern course. It's like anything else. Uh, if you, you got to try it, you need to just give yourself actually a little bit of more credibility. Right? Trust yourself a little bit more. If you think you like it, see, the problem is, again, the caves and the sharks, they have the same kind of things. When I say caves, why are you afraid? What do you think? What is that triggers that fear? Come on, I know what the answer is. That you're going to be in a tight, small space where you have to remove your gear. Isn't yeah, that true? I, yeah. And and also like yes. suffocating yeah. and feeling like a lot of claustrophobia. A lot of claustrophobia. That's my deal. <laughs> what if I told you that you're actually going to dive in a room that is the size of a cathedral? What if I told you that there's rooms in some caves in the Bahamas that are called the Wrigley Field? 
What if I told you that there's rooms in caves where you, if you have one diver on one side of the cave and the other diver on the other side of the same room, you can't see each other's lights. See, it's the same thing when I say shark. People hear, the smallest shark in the world fits in the palm of my hand is the size of the pen that you use to write. And the biggest shark in the world is the size of a bus and feeds on plankton. But yet people hear shark and all they can see is a slashing teeth and red blood water. And it's so far from reality. Caves is the same. People hear a cave and all they think is a basically a gigantic piece of stone on their chest that prevents them from breathing. And caves are instead these phenomenal, amazing mazes. And some of them are huge. And most of them, especially at the first levels where we take you diving and training and all of that, you glide through them, you swim through them, you float through them. It's, again, another mindset that tells you, oh, no, it's going to be because that's what they made you believe. You don't remove your gear in cave diving. It takes years before you get to places where you have to remove your gear. All right. I'm enrolled. Thank you. We're all going to go to Tulum and we'll do some cenote diving. How about that? Why don't you come here? I'm old, you know? <laughs> That's what happens. I'm sitting here listening to her describe it. I like this grin on my face. And Char is like, oh my God, I want to die. <laughs> but I keep pushing through my fears, and this is why I keep doing this shenanigans. All right, who said I'm old? <laughs> I, Charlotte. I'm just kidding. I, I joke about I being you. old, but I'm like, I don't know, 12 years older than my co host. Right? What? You're 40? Yeah. So what am I, a fossil? No, no. <laughs> I think it's it's hard for Char because Sarah and I are still in our mid-20s. So, Christina, say if I want to come down to the Bahamas and trim with, swim with these sharks and do your whole courses, is it offered, like, weekly, daily, like, or is it at certain times of the year? It's offered on... Uh, availability of yours and my schedule because I teach so the shark dive where you watch you can be in a group you just watch the regular shark dive but if you want to do any of the hands-on experiences one-on-one with me so even if like uh, the shark handling course is three days and if the two of you want to do it together is actually five days because each one of you will get full hands-on two four full dives with the with the sharks um so decided between the person that wants to do it and myself according to obviously both available schedule with the understanding that I usually book eight to ten months in advance. So we need to book now for summertime or past summertime. <laughs> and the reason why is, again, I don't just teach sharks. I really like my variety. So next year, there's already a full dive master course that is in the schedule and a full IDC course and is a schedule and a couple of trips that I'm going to do to go and present to some conferences. When you have a 12-day IDC, that month does not leave many days to be able to fit into many courses. So it's not just the sharks, it's everything else. But to be honest with you, for next year, I have extremely high reservations. So you're looking, yes, at some parts of June and some part of August only available as of now. Yeah, after we're done with this, we're going to get out our calendars, give you dates, and see what's available. Snap dazzle. Snap dazzle. Because this is on my bucket list for sure. Well, it's a long life. I know. Today, I'm going to live to I'm a billion, just so you know. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a time to plan. You know, it's something that you plan. It's not. It's. I oh, I keep list. adding to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Right. I have a million more questions, but we have to let you go. It's been. Um, so fantastic having you, but we have to take one quick moment before we end to do our safety stop segment and our fishbowl. Woohoo! So, Christina, would you tell us what the phrase safety stop means to you? The safety stop for me is, I think, one of the apex moments of your dive because it feels as like when the world collects under your eyes, when before it kind of like was trying to swim away from you. It's really funny. If you actually as a diver, as you do the safety stop and you look down, you notice kind of like all the fish comes back and it goes, oh, okay, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> so the 
there's actually so much more happening during the safety stop because it allows you to be maybe in the best position as an outside observer without disturbing what the animals are doing. And and it's actually one of my favorite ones for that reason. It really the it feels like the ocean just all of a sudden closes back underneath you and they're kinda of like they're gone. They were so noisy, they made so much bubbles and they move so much water. And so they come back. And so you get to, to see quite a lot actually from just a fifteen foot area where you're at. That's true. That's so true. We don't I feel like we don't have enough fish that we see on a normal basis yeah. underneath us in California to watch it really get back to normal. You'd be surprised if you actually sit still and safety to how much there is that comes back. I mean, that's a thing, right? And, and that's what it says. It's a, it's a, many divers, when they go diving, they just hit the, hit the ground and off they go, right? And it's just kind of like, that's what I like about the safety stop stop just 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 let it pass by you rather than go and seek it there's one of my favorite fish when i get the divers to understand what i want them to do it might take five six minutes to see that fish but when that divers understand what i want them to do and they sit there with me and then that fish does that behavior they're absolutely ecstatic so safety stop means stop and 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 the world will gather underneath you I love that. You're such a quotable person. I know. You really are. Very Again, nice. I'm going to call you every morning to get an inspiration I from didn't you. I did therapy this week, and I feel like I did. Um, all right. Now we have time for our fishbowl. Um, okay. And this is... Okay. All right. What do we... Oh, I don't think we've ever done a gear-related question. We haven't. Um, all right. So our question for you is, what is the most important thing to look at when purchasing a regulator? What is the most important thing to look at when you're purchasing a regulator? Um, it's the, obviously, it has to be a very comfortable regulator, and it has to be for the environment that you're going to be diving in. So it has to have certain characteristics adaptable to the environment you're going to be in. But you might also want to look into the uh, serviceable capabilities of the regulator. I give you an example. You might wanna, you might hear that a certain brand is the brand to have, but then you are based in the Bahamas, and that brand uh, service kits and uh, service technician and everything else does not even exist within a thousand miles from you. I mean, you might have to send your regulator all the way to California. Well, that might also direct your choice of a regulator. Um, if that makes sense. So yes, the comfortability of the regulator, right? Uh, especially if you have like a small mouth or anything like that, I will stay with lighter shapes or anything like that. But also, can you service this regulator in a comfortable and promptly way? And now have to send it back all the way to the UK to get your regulator service because that's the regulator you wanted. I mean, if you have the means, by all means, but you want to be comfortable so that if your regulator plops on you, uh, you can go around the corner and they have the service kits and the technician and the people capable of taking care of it. And what do you dive with? I dive with Scuba Pro. I think I moved, I, I've been diving 20 some years with Scuba Pro regulators. And uh, one of the characteristics I looks at, I'm MK25, so first stages, DIN or uh, whatever, because I can orient the turret as I want, uh, depending on the tanks. Uh, but my favorite is I have the S600 and some other ones, and they're also very easy to open. Should some clay go in during the cave dive or something, I can just open it, clear it out, and put it back together. And, but I'm a, I'm a big scuba pro girl from regulator, BCs, fins, mass kind of point of view. I have different, different brands for I, I tend to buy the tools that best serve that specific. Uh, different brands. I'm not a one brand kind of woman. No, I uh, each each I have different brands that serve different purposes, depending on what I want and what suits my needs. And I went through different brands and I tried many things through the years. And I have to say right now, I'm pretty happy with the, uh, choices that I have. You've made so many choices over the years that have all led you here. 
Look at that wrap up. Oh, God. Wow, oh, you are good. No, I'm not. That's correct. So many choices and so many sacrifices all together. Yes, absolutely. Christina, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we're a gonna... huge inspiration. Absolutely. And, and a fan. Talking to you has been um, just an absolute delight. And I usually say that with sarcasm, but there was absolutely none in that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, thank you for your honesty. That was, there was no sarcasm with that. It was, I was like, it was so great to hear your perspective. And, um, I feel like I learned a lot and just things to take care, take with me as I make choices in my life and look at, um, exactly ways to make ourselves better drivers and better people. And remember, you're allowed to change your mind. At a certain point along your way, you say, you know what? This doesn't suit me anymore. This doesn't make me happy 90% of the times anymore. Change. I love that. Thanks, new friend. Thanks, new friend. I'll be on your couch next week. <laughs> we are all going to come see you. Eventually. I don't know if it's going to be June, guys. I don't Not know June, gonna June, but we are going to try to plan a time that you're available. the time. I know. Things don't happen very quickly. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm going to go and do this. And it might take a year, year and a half to be able to make it come through. So. I think 2020 calendar. That's 2020. what I'm looking at. 2020. You'll have something to celebrate as well. So. Yeah. Exa oh, my God. We'll come and celebrate your win. Like a big 20 for 20. Exactly. Yeah. Hey. No, 2020 is my 49th. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> darn it. Well, then we'll have to come back at 21. So then to celebrate the 50. Well, 2020 will be my 30th. Well, thank you, Christina, so much. It was so fantastic to speak to you. And we look forward to hearing and seeing more about you um, via your website and Instagram and all of the things you have coming up, conferences and, um, and big conservation wins down in the Bahamas and around the world. Um, everyone, sh thank you for listening. Um, be sure to check out Christina Zanato on her website and Instagram. And you can find more about her on our website, safetystopscuba.com. Safety uh, Stop. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Cheers. 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 Woo. Woo. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. You're amazing and magical. <laughs>